Good morning. Welcome to Grace. If you guys will stand with us, we're going to sing a little bit. Um, also, as you can tell, see. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. First thing, if y'all will scoot in, it looks like we're getting pretty full. We haven't gotten to a family sitting on each other's laps yet, but that's the next step. So if you scoot in, we'll avoid <laughs> that one. Um, but anyways, we, you can see we only have two people up here. Um, and I, I think this is just a great reminder that this is not just about music, right? This is about meeting with God. And, uh, and we get to do that regardless of if there's no one up here at all. Um, but if you guys will sing out with us, that will make us feel less nervous. So uh, <laughs> that would be awesome. So let's sing together. You can put your hands together if you'd like to do that.
searching colors and look inside A chase of what we're looking for So be quiet now and wait The ocean is growing The tide is coming
that you built and made and created this incredible world. And so, Lord, we praise you. Lord, we also recognize that we're not deserving of your affection. We're not deserving of your attention. But that you give it to us, not because we've earned it, but because of your grace. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So, Lord, we all confess that we often live by a system of wages, thinking that we deserve more than we get, being bitter, being frustrated with each other and with you. And we confess that and we lay that at your feet today and we recognize and we confess that all we've earned is death. But despite that, you gave your son for us. You sacrificed your son. Jesus died on the cross so that we could live not by wages, but by gift, by grace. And so we continue to worship you, not just as those in awe of how great and how mighty you are, but as those who are in awe that you are a, a God that delights in us, that saves us, that rescues us from our sin. And so we pray this in Jesus' name, and we continue to praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen.
sacrifice of greatest price. Still more awesome than I know. You're the coming king. You are everything. Still more awesome than I know. Change to say to the Lord that. 
slipped in after I said hello earlier. My name's Dave. I'm a pastor here and just very glad to have you if you're visiting. Um, there are still some seats on the front row. For some reason, people never like to sit on the front row. I just don't understand that. So if you want to, they're welcome. I don't spit too much when I preach, so it's pretty safe. Um, if you will open up your Bibles to Matthew, we're continuing a series through Matthew we've called Kingdom Come. And in this series, we're seeing how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that we longed for, everything that the Jews specifically hoped for and were promised. Um, but he's this fulfillment in a way that they didn't quite understand or didn't expect. Um, that he's not only this glorious king, but he's also a suffering king. And this is 
continually worked out kind of episode after episode. And what we've seen is, as you read Matthew, it's just like a kind of serial episodes in a cliffhanger, like watching 24, every episode really builds on the episode before. And what we're seeing this week is that this week's understanding of, of the first being last and the last being first is built off of last week where Jesus said that entry into the kingdom is impossible. And Jesus really pushed his disciples and pushed those that were listening to, to feel the weight of that, that it's not something we can do, that it is indeed impossible. And he pushed so hard that the rich young ruler specifically at the end of last week's story just walked away disappointed because he wasn't willing to give up everything and, and follow Jesus. And Jesus said, well, it's impossible. Life in the kingdom is impossible, but with God, it's possible. And, and that led then Peter to ask a question that is what we start with this week. This week, then, we'll start with Peter's question. If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew 19.27. Matthew 19.27. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take one of the ones we have under the chairs. Um, those are a gift to you if you don't have one at home or if you just want one to use today. You can use that. I think we're somewhere around page 825 in those black Bibles. But if you'll open up to Matthew 19.27, we'll read Peter's question. We'll see how he um, is a little confused by what Jesus was teaching them about the impossible kingdom and giving things up and how you get in and, and all of this that we saw last week. I'll start with verse 26 just to let us feel that context a little bit. And then we'll read through 20, verse 16. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So the weight, the, the pain of what we learned last week was that we can't do it. We can't get in the kingdom. But the hope is that with God all things are possible. With God all things are possible. And that's really what faith is, is trusting in God. We can't do it, but we trust in him to do it for us. So then Peter asks him this question. It says in verse 27, Peter answered him, well, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? So now Peter is wondering, what's then our reward, right? Because we've followed you. This rich man walked away, and he wasn't willing to give up his stuff to follow you. But we gave up stuff, so we're going to get paid back, right? And, and a lot of us Christians, that's the attitude we have, right? We're like, hey, we're in church. We got up early. Well, kind of early. I mean, it's 11. But, we, you know, we came, and we showed up, and we taught Sunday school that time. And, you know, we've done stuff for you, Jesus. So what do we get, Right? And that's often, we're, we're just like Peter. We often have the same thought. We, I love that Peter speaks for us. It's very nice of him to do that. In verse 28, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is really kind of an academic, kind of theological statement here. Jesus is saying, yes, indeed, you will rule with me. I'm replacing these bad leaders of Israel that don't point people to God and how generous he is, but they're, they're making up all these rules. I'm, I'm replacing them. And, and we at our church, we still believe there's this future for Israel, and we can talk about that some other day. I kind of try to put off the end times discussions until I have to. Like we'll, be in, we'll talk about that in Matthew 24 here in a few weeks. Um, but we do believe there's some kind of future for Israel still, but, but Jesus is, is kind of replacing those Jewish leaders with his disciples. And he's saying, yeah, those of you that are following me, you're going to be the new leaders. You're going to be the new deputies with me. You're going to be kings with me. You're going to lead. You're going to judge Israel. You will be rewarded. Yeah, you've given up things and you will be rewarded. He picks it up in 29. And everyone, everyone, not just you guys, you 12 are going to rule with me, but everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will, will inherit 
eternal life. They'll, re re they'll receive a hundred times as much. They'll be rewarded far beyond anything they ever gave up. In verse 30, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This, this thing he repeats throughout, this is really his helping us to un understand how the kingdom turns things upside down, and it's not what we earn, but it's God's graciousness. And God sometimes rewards those who we don't think should be rewarded and sometimes punishes those who think they deserve a reward. And he gives this parable to explain it. In case we didn't get it, starting in chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in the vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which is just a day's wages. Okay, He, he agreed to pay them a day's wages, a common laborer's wages, for the day, and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, we're talking a twelve-hour workday here, so there's one hour of work left. He went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Verse 7, because no one has hired us. They can't work unless someone hires them. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. They just worked an hour, but they got 12 hours of pay. So when those who, those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received just a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work? For denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Often we come, like those workers that work 12 hours, and we think, well, you can't pay these other people. I taught Sunday school for 10 years, so I, I get more stuff, right? God, like I'm not going to get sick, or I'm not going to have hard things happen in my life, God, because I've I've done these things for you, so I deserve this reward. Why are these other people getting ahead? God, that's, that's not fair. And God says, I, I'm generous. Nobody really deserves it. I, I want to pay everyone because I want to pay everyone. Not, not because you really deserve it. And I have the freedom to do what I want with my money. Let's pray and ask God to, uh, to teach us. Father, this is, a, this is a tough passage. This is one of those passages that we all think is unfair. We're, we're, just like, we're just like those workers that work 12 hours, and we get frustrated, Father. And I pray that you would teach us, that you would you'd soften our hearts, that you would uh, help us to lower our defenses and to hear what you have to say about the way the kingdom works. I pray that you would, you would uh, give us eyes to, to see and ears to hear, and you would teach us today that your Holy Spirit would, would join us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, this, this passage uh, is very near to me because I think I, I struggle with this. You know, I said a lot of us struggle with this. Um, a lot of people think it's unfair, just like those workers that work 12 hours. Um, I was one of those people that was taught, if you work hard, you'll get ahead. You ever heard that? If you work hard, you'll be rewarded. 
Um, I remember seeing it, you know, like posters in the gym when I was in athletics as a kid. I remember, you know, seeing it on TV. I remember seeing it on the little posters that were on the ceiling in the dentist office. You know, those kind of inspirational things. It, it would be like, give it all you got and you'll, you'll get ahead, you know? Make, make the sacrifices and you'll get paid back. And, and that was something I deeply believed. And I, I really worked very hard in athletics. I'm sad to say I didn't work as hard in school. And kids, I don't recommend that. I, I recommend working hard in everything. But I, I, I struggled in some of these other areas. But I worked really hard in athletics and really wanted to get ahead. Um, and I, and I, I think really probably it's safe to say you can stack me up against some of the other guys I, I played sports with. I probably worked as hard or harder than anybody else in, in that group. Um, but I didn't always get ahead like I thought I should. I remember I was kind of finally making some headway my junior year in high school and starting to really move forward in the bench press. I weighed about 20 pounds more than I do right now, um, so it's hard to imagine that I could lift anything, but, but I could at one time. And, uh, and I was really, I was making some progress. I was moving up the ladder, you know, in, in like the top 10 on the team, you know, ranking with the other guys and really making some progress. And we were doing this one drill in football, and I don't remember if it was like the pads or the dummy or what it was, but I just remember kind of that sound and that feeling when I was uh, going to make a tackle, and there was this snap right here in, in my right shoulder. And it, it, first time I'd ever heard that sound, um, and I've heard it a lot since then, like I've become very familiar with it now, but, but it was the first time it had ever like popped like that, and uh, it didn't come all the way out of the socket, but you know, something popped, and it uh, just never really worked right after that, you know, shooting pain, it hurt a lot, and I had to do a lot of physical therapy. And because of that, it set back those bench press goals that I had. I was never able to achieve that goal that I'd been working at since I was like 12 or 13 and first started working out. I never, I never got there. But, but I worked harder than everybody else. I had worked harder and I deserved it, right? I mean, I should have I achieved that goal. It was so frustrating to me to say, but I've got to put in the time. I worked harder than anybody else, but I didn't get rewarded for my hard work. I've just got this injury. And, and I think Peter, like I said, Peter speaks for us and, and kind of raises these questions that we have. And he says, just like we're asking, will, will, will we get rewarded? Because we have given up everything. I mean, that rich young ruler walked away disappointed. He wasn't willing to let go of his idols. But Peter's saying, we we, the 12 disciples, we've given stuff up. And I think sometimes Christians, people in church, we think, God, I've done this for you. I've done that for you. Where's the reward? We will get rewarded, right? And Jesus says, yes, but, but not in the way you're thinking. It, it's not the way the world's system of rewards works. And so the first thing we see is that the last will be rewarded. The last will be rewarded, but it's not exactly like you think. Peter says... We've given up everything. Verse 27, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And in Jesus' answer, he says, yes, indeed, you will be rewarded. And specifically in verse 29, he says, everyone will be rewarded, as a matter of fact. So first, he addresses the 12. Yes, you have a special place, and I'm investing in you, and you are like the new leadership of my new work here. You know, we talk about the church and kind of this new thing that's going on with the church and becoming God's new people and this new leadership he's investing in the 12, right? That they're going to rule, they're going to be his apostles, and they're going to have this authority. And they, you know, they wrote the New Testament for us, and they have this authority in the church. But he also says, and everyone, everyone who's left anything will be rewarded 100-fold. Rewarded 100-fold. 
So that's not like working 12 hours and getting 12 hours pay. That's working 12 hours and getting, I didn't do the math, I don't know, 100 times that, right? 100 fold, 12 times that pay. It, it, it's way beyond anything that we deserve. It's not like, okay, I've done my work, give me my paycheck. It's I've done my work, oh, here's the paycheck, oh, and here's more, and here's more, and here's more. A hundred times as much. That's what Jesus is saying. That's how you'll be rewarded. It's that kind of system. It's not like the normal world system of you do this, you'll get paid back. And, and to make sure they get it, that's when he goes into this parable, what I like to call the parable of the generous landowner. One of the books that we give away at the church, if you, if you are a visitor and you fill, fill out the visitor's card, and you check the box and says, yes, I'd like a free book about God's grace. We, we give out this church called Transforming Grace by Jerry Bridges. Okay? And there's two chapters in that book about this parable where Bridges really drives this home that God is a generous God, that he gives to us beyond all that we have worked for, beyond what we have earned. He rewards us not according to our sacrifice, but according to his generosity. And so it's really kind of strange that it's, you know, the... The title in most Bibles calls it the parable of the workers, the parable of the vineyard. It's really the parable of the generous landowner. It's about a generous God that pays us back, not according to what we've done, but according to his generosity. And, and he makes it very clear in the parable by, by showing again and again, this guy worked this many hours and he got paid a day's wages. This guy worked this many hours, he got paid a day's wages. Everybody got paid a day's wages. And when we hear that, we think, oh, cool, you know, Starbucks money, Right? I mean, isn't that kind of how we read it in the 21st century? But these were poor day laborers that needed a day's wages to feed their family. A day's wages was what a poor person needed to survive one more day. So, so hear it that way. This generous landowner just kept going and grabbing more guys. I'm going to pay this guy what he needs to get by another day. I'm going to pay this guy what he needs to get by another day. I'm going to pay this guy what he needs to get by another day. He's not rewarding them specifically for their work. He's, he's being generous to them and providing for their needs. This is not about how much you should pay people per hour and proper wage ratios. This is about the generosity of the landowner. I thought about this, this symbol, what I think of as a symbol of wages. Anybody know what that is? Basically, if you're like my age or older, you'll know what that is, right? Then you've used it. I'm kind of like the dividing line in our church, my age, you know. Pretty much anybody be behind me, we all use computers, and anybody older than me, we've, we've used these before. I've, I've used these in a few jobs. This is called a, a, a time clock. And what it is is when you, you would have a card that would have your name on it at a job, and then you'd punch the clock. You know, some of them are fancy and would do it automatically for you, but the old ones, you'd have to actually punch it, and it would stamp the date, the time on there. And then when you left and you're done with your job, you'd stamp it again, and it would stamp it, and you, you know, the people that would write the checks knew exactly how many minutes you worked. They're not going to pay you any extra minutes. They're not going to pay you any less minutes. They're going to pay you according to what you've done. And, and the Bible says if we live by that system in the spiritual realm, what is the paycheck that we get? It's not good. It's not good if we live by that system spiritually. If we relate to God in that way, it is not good at all. Romans 6.23 is the first. I read it earlier when we were praying. Um, I'd love for you to just flip to it. You can keep a finger in Matthew because we're going to spend most of our time there. But I'd love for you to flip over to Romans, which is after, after the Gospels, one of the first major letters of Paul. You flip to Romans 6.23. I just want you to soak this up. 
I want you to know where it is. I want you to be able to go there. This is just a great verse, a great basic theology verse to memorize, to understand the two systems by which we live. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. You see, no matter how many good things we've done for God, no matter how many, no matter how many Sunday school classes you've taught or how many volunteer hours you've, you've done or how many Habitat for Humanity houses you've built or how many poor people you've helped or, or orphans and widows you've loved, we're still sinners. We're still sinners. And the wages of sin is death. So, so when we punch the time clock with God, the paycheck we earn is death. That's what we've deserved. That, that's what we've earned. That's, if we're going to live by wages, that's the wage system. And the second half of that verse says, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can either live by wages or live by gift. And what Jesus is helping them to see with this wage story is that God is the God that pays us beyond anything we've ever earned. And, and he made it real clear with Peter. He said, you're going to get paid back a hundredfold, way beyond anything you've ever earned. And then he tries to emphasize it with the story and to help us to see that really we're all 11th hour workers. Really, none of us have, have truly earned the 12 hours of pay. And, and, and we can you know, talk about rewards in different systems in heaven, but I think what he's, he's trying to paint here is, is kind of the equalness of it. That, that we all are inheriting eternal life uh, not based on what we've done, but based on what Jesus has done for us. Based on his generosity. And I know there's other passages that seem to, to imply that there are varying systems of rewards in, in heaven, or some people think that's like in the millennium kingdom in the future or whatever. And because our passage doesn't really hit on those details, I'm not going to talk about that. This passage is trying to help us to get just that, that equal day's wage, that what we need to survive, what we need for life, that wage is a gift that's given to us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of life comes through Jesus Christ. To use the language of the rich young ruler from last week, he said, what must I do to enter into life? And here, Jesus is explaining, if you want to enter into life, if you want that day's wage, what you need to survive, what you need for life, to eat another day, eternal life, then, then you have to depend on the generosity of the landowner. It's not, it's not according to what you've done. It's not your work. It's not how smart you are, or how hardworking you are, or whether you've made it through the heat of the day. And I can definitely relate to that. I was doing some yard work yesterday and it was like 157 degrees outside. Um, so I feel their pain when they complain about, we've worked through the heat of the day. The, the next thing we see is that the last will be raised. This is kind of an anchor point to this passage and then we'll see more at the end in the third point. But in this point, we see the last will be raised. And, and before I've been talking about the last, meaning us, we'll be rewarded beyond what we deserve. We'll be made first even though really we're last. We've earned death, but we'll be rewarded by gift with eternal life. Well, here we see the last, meaning Jesus will be raised. But the cross is, is kind of at the center. It, it kind of ties all this together. Jesus already revealed this to the guys back in like 16 and in 17. And here he's revealing it again, that the trajectory of this story, his life, is moving towards not only setting up a new leadership with his disciples, but dying. And he's going to give his life for others. He will die. Now he'll be raised, so we have hope. He will be raised, but it says he's going to die. So look at verse 20, uh, or 20, verse 17 through 19. 20, verse 17 through 19. We haven't read this section yet. It says, 
Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, literally it's a mountain, the Mount Zion is Jerusalem. So they're physically working their way uphill, up in elevation to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples and said, aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. What we see here is, is the weight of Jesus saying, I will become last for you. In this kingdom, everything's turned upside down. And those who think they're first are going to be judged and be made last. But those who know that they're last are going to be made first. And the way it works is Jesus becomes last for us. He dies for us. And I, I grabbed a picture of this. It's black and white, so it's not quite as gruesome as it could be. But this is an electric chair. This is a tool of execution. And when Jesus says, I'm going to be mocked and flogged and crucified, you know, we kind of hear that as a Sunday school verse, don't we? If you've been in church at all, you, you hear these verses and you think, yeah, that's, you know, the cross. We have a cross up on our, on our stage. It's like hanging an electric chair in the front of our place of worship. I mean, when they heard the cross, they heard gruesome, cruel method of execution. That, that's what they heard. That's what they felt. And I want us to feel that, too, that he died for us, that he was mocked, that he was flogged, that he was crucified, he was put to death in our, in our place. Jesus was, was truly first, right? The king of the universe, the king they'd all been waiting for, and he became last for us, and, and he died in our place. But we still have hope. He was, he was raised. He didn't stay dead. He promised them I'm going to die. This bad stuff is going to happen, but I will be raised to life. And, and he's already said it three times, and the story is moving towards that climax in the book of Matthew, and, and we're going to see it unfold, and we're going to see they, they still didn't quite get it, but he's promising them, I am going to die, but I will be raised. And, and he's proving out in his own life that this is true, that the first will be last, and the last will be first. He's reversing everything by the power of his own his own sacrifice for us. And that really takes us to this last section. They, they still don't get it. And we see, we see that the last will be ransomed. We see that the last will be ransomed. Look at, look at these last few verses. This will be kind of what we close up with. Verses 20 through 27. If you look at those with me. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, which means James and John's mom. That's like such a weird Yoda way of saying it, isn't it? Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking. Jesus said to them, Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? In other books it says, Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to go through? Can you enter death? Can you give yourself up? the way I'm going to give myself up. And uh, as usual, they are very bold. We can, they answered. They're like, yeah, sure, whatever, we can do it. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and he tried, he tried to settle it. Jesus called them together in verse 25. And he said, 
You know that the rulers of the Gentiles or, or the nations, he's saying the other people, you know, the bad people out there, the non-Jews, the rulers of the nations, like the Romans and the Greek officials, lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. Verse 27, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says he's going to be a ransom. And, and if you want to be first, you have to be last. You have to serve others. And he says the Son of Man is, is showing you what this is supposed to look like. He's, he's helping them understand it's not about jockeying for position. You know, throughout the Gospels, you're always seeing the disciples kind of arguing about who's first and who's more important and kind of trying to nudge each other out and trying to get ahead. And Jesus says the way you're going to get ahead in this kingdom, in this system, is you're going to serve others. He says, and, and I'm proving that out for you. I'm showing you that way by becoming a ransom for many. Ransom is, I think in our language today, we use that term usually to think about like a hostage, right? Or someone that's been kidnapped. Someone who's been wrongly stolen being, being given some money to bribe those people to then give them back. But, but in the first century, it really just meant the, the cost of a, of a slave being set free. Okay? So just the purchase price. So th this is kind of the idea of someone being set free. And, and so ransom has the connotation of, of freedom, which is kind of how we use it in kidnapping today. But it's not necessarily an unjust deal. It's just payment being made for something, something being turned loose, something being paid for, a substitution that's taking place. And I thought about the Indiana Jones movie. I don't know if you remember this scene in the first Indiana Jones movie where he's going in and he wants to take this special golden statue. So he has a sandbag that I guess should weigh the same as the golden statue and he switches them out so that the traps are not set off by the weight being relieved off of that special pedestal. Um, but you remember, I don't know if you've seen the movie, it didn't actually work, did it? But his substitute didn't quite work, and that's one of the great scenes in the movie where he's running and this giant boulder is rolling over him and darts are shooting every direction. And so that, that substitution didn't work. But, but Jesus, he, he's our good substitute that works. Not, not a sandbag for gold, but, but rather Jesus is gold for the sandbag for us. It's, it's the other way around. Jesus is the ultimate valuable substitute that, that takes our place as the invaluable one, as the broken one, as the sinners, and he switches places for us so that we don't have to face the trap, so that we don't have to face death. And so we see that the, the last will be ransomed by Jesus. He will be our purchase price. He will be, by his death, the one that sets us free, who becomes our, our substitute. And I think as we think about what this means in our life, the first thing is to realize that we're ransomed by Jesus. But the other thing to realize is Jesus says to them, to the disciples, oh, you will, you will drink my cup. Like I said, the other ones, it's my baptism. You, you will enter into this suffering. You'll be plunged into the same pain and suffering that I'm going to go through. I mean, we recognize that Jesus is the ultimate vicarious you know, substitute. He is the one that takes our place, that, that takes care of our sin. But we will also suffer. As his people, we will follow in his example. So we may not ransom souls in the same way that Jesus paid for people's life and sets them free to be in heaven and to have eternal life. But we will also be ransomed. We will also be part of the process of suffering for others, of spending ourselves to, to purchase others, to, to give ourselves to others, to set others 
free. And that's part of what Jesus calls us into. So not only is he ransomed for us, but he, he calls us into something greater than we've already been involved in, right? Like our, our life has been up to this point just working for wages. But he calls us into the same thing now, this ministry that he's carrying out of being this generous landowner that pays people back more than they deserve. He calls us into that too. And he says, spend your life to give people more than they deserve. To not pay people back according to what they've done to you. But to pay people more generously than, than they could ask or imagine. Paying them back a hundredfold. Giving them grace even though they may give you pain. Forgiving them and, and turning them loose and setting them free. Being a ransom for others the way Jesus has been a ransom for us. And the last thing I want to talk about with that is just leadership. This is an important thing in a church. You know, we're a growing organization. We continue to bring in new leaders. Um, and, and I would love to hear from you like what your gifts are and how you've led in other contexts and how God has used you. And, and that's good because sometimes people are like afraid to share those things. Like it's, it's not humble and that it's bragging to talk about anything they've ever done. You know, by God's grace, you've all had some great experiences and I would love to hear about them and the other leaders of this church would too. So, you know, we can get people involved and have them serving in areas that, that are according to their gifts and, and their experiences. But I, but I have to tell you that, that red flags go off in my mind when people kind of lead with their strengths and their leadership, you know? I mean, people often come in and, and all they talk about is how gifted they are, how skilled they are, what they've done. And, and that, that's kind of like when I kind of start to back up a little bit, you know, you might see this glazed look come over my eyes sometimes and I'm thinking, well, okay, great. All right, well, we'll figure out a spot for you. Because um, Christian leadership is serving. If you want to be first, it's to be a slave, is what he says here. If you want to be great, if you want to be first, if you want to have rank and authority, if you want to become a leader in this organization, the church, and specifically even Grace Bible Church, then he says to be a slave. He says to give yourself to serve others. That's what it means to lead. And we, like, like I said, we continue to call on, on you. We want more people to get involved organizationally and to, to be leading. And the way you, you lead here is by serving. If you want prominence, you serve. And, and if you want to, to be something here, we, we ask you to be a slave, just as Jesus was for us. Because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That, that's the Christian view of leadership. I mean, I think servant leadership is becoming more and more popular in, in non-Christian circles. There's a lot of people in business, and I think even probably military leadership, Circles talking about that, how that's really the best way to lead. That's really practically what works best. But in the church, that's we have no we have no other way to go. That's how we have to do things. I mean, we are we're following Jesus. That's that's why we're here, and that's how we will do things. So if you ever wonder why there's so many incompetent people leading around here, that that's why that's that's why we've worked out that system um, because we're trying to, to follow His steps to sacrifice ourselves. Well, I think as we, uh, as we wrap this up, a lot of times I like to kind of share the happy ending to the story, you know, leave you in suspense. I talk about how I was struggling and got that shoulder injury and, you know, just kind of almost made that, that bench press goal that I was trying to get to. And so I wanted to give you the rest of the story. Um, what happened was I, I continued to work hard and I did the physical therapy and I, and I recovered somewhat and I was able to get back to where I was before. And then the next football season, that same snap sound and, and set back again. 
and, uh, and never really recovered, never really achieved that goal and bench press. And that same junior year when I had those setbacks, I mean, it was also a hard year socially. You know, I didn't, I didn't have as many friends as I wanted. I was kind of a loner. Um, you know, I didn't have all the many girlfriends that a 17-year-old wanted to have at that age. And it was a hard year. And there were other more serious things, too. I mean, there were three different kids, um, one a year younger, one migrate, and one a year ahead, that all died that junior year in high school. Friends of mine, a, a girl that killed herself, and another kid that, that died in a driving accident, and another one that died, and nobody really knew what had happened. They thought maybe he killed himself, but they didn't know what the whole story was. And so that, that continued really to be a hard year. It's kind of like hard things kept piling up one upon another. Now that same year, my dad basically disowned me. Um, it, it, was, it was not really, you know, it was kind of weird. I have to explain. He, he's continued to be involved somewhat in my life, but basically that was, the relationship basically broke at that point. We haven't had a significant relationship since that point. Um, and it was just one hard thing after another piled up that year. And so in the, in the temporal sense, and the worldly sense, I don't, I don't have a happy ending f- for that. I don't have a happy ending for what happened. But, but I do have a happy, happy ending in the sense that, that God used all that brokenness, that God used um, pain and being last in these goals I'd set in sports and pain socially and pain with friends and realizing I'm mortal and people are dying and having this brokenness in my family. God used all that pain to help me to see my need for Jesus. Because sometimes when, when all the good things are, are just flowing around us and we've got all the things we want in all these areas of life, we think we've got it together. We think we can do it. That We think that if we just work hard, it'll pay off and, and we can operate by a wage system. And, and we think that we can get ahead by our works and by what we do. And sometimes it takes that, that breaking God allowing all those pieces to fall for us to see, I need help. I, I can't do this wage system. I need a gift system. I need someone who is going to pay me more than what I've earned. I need someone who's going to pay me by their own generosity. And so for the first time, I found that in Jesus Christ that year. Through all that brokenness, through being last, I finally became first in, in finding grace and finding hope in the kingdom of God. And so I want to encourage you guys. I know a lot of you are struggling with hard things, and sometimes those are the painful uh, tearing away of idols out of our hands, of other false gods that we're worshiping, that we're thinking, this is going to bring me security, and this is going to bring me um, salvation, and this is going to bring me hope. And sometimes God is kind of painfully ripping those things out of our hands, and it hurts, and it's painful, but the reward is worth it. There are greater things ahead. The first, sometimes many, are last, and the last will be first. That's my encouragement to you this morning. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we we take hope in the reality that, that you give us more than we deserve. I know there's some this morning that are probably hearing that for the first time. Many come into a church thinking, I need to get my life together. Um, maybe if I go to church, I can clean up and I can I can start doing right. I can start earning uh, some respect from God and maybe earning some blessings. And I know some are probably hearing for the first time that that's not how it works. That all we earn is death by our sin. But by faith, by grace, we can receive the free gift of salvation of your son, 
dying in our place, paying the, the price of death that we should have paid, and also living in our place and giving us that eternal life as a free gift. If you're one of those people that are, that are just getting that for the first time this morning, I'm I just ask you to just tell God that, to say thank you. Say, I recognize I'm a sinner and I deserve death, but you're a generous, gracious God and you gave your son for me and so I can have eternal life by faith and I accept it and I thank you for it. And if, if you're praying that for the first time this morning, I'd ask you to talk to, to me or one of the greeters or, or other leaders or maybe a friend that's invited you to church this morning and, and share about that experience. For the rest of us, for those, those of us that already know you that that may be slipping back into a works mentality. God, I pray that you would save us from that. So often it's easy for us to believe that we've been saved by grace, but then everything else is then on our backs and the rest of it is, is back to that wage system. Father, help us to remember that everything we do, we're rewarded far beyond what we deserve because you're a generous God and every, every work we do is because of your grace and for your glory. And so I pray that you would use us in Jesus' name. Man, if you guys will stay with us, we'll sing one last song. And uh, this song uh, is kind of unique in the fact that it talks about a specific um, act of worship. It says, we stand and lift up our hands. Um, and so I just wanted to encourage you guys, um, why don't we just join as a church to, as an act of worship, just lift our hands to God. Um, we, have, we have so many chances on a Sunday morning. Hopefully what we're doing is translating what... Uh, what is already true in, in our hearts and um, the thankfulness we have for God inside into things that are outside, you know, into words that we sing and the way we, we look. But also one, one way we can do that to worship Him is to raise our hands. So uh, this isn't like a command, you must do it. But uh, uh, if you would with us, uh, we, would, we would love to do that just as an act of worship to God. So, uh, And you don't have to do it the whole time either. I know that <laughs> if you can, that's cool. But might get tired, but uh, <laughs> anyway, just sing this out with us, and let's worship God, um, and anytime you just feel feel like raising your hands as, as an act of worship, feel free to do it, so let's sing this out. Alright, sing it. We stand and lift up our hands for the joy of the See you. 